Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's a second happy Daily Canon Weekly Podcast in a row. And unlike last week, we might actually sustain the happiness all the way through. Um, so joining me to feel the joy is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? I am delightful, thank you, mate. How are you? Delightful. Oh, splendid. Lovely. <laughs> well, I am now I'm talking to you and free of the working day. Well, that's true. Yeah. And you've miraculously turned into a Victorian novel as well, which is lovely. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, two games in a week, two wins in a week, uh, one very comfortable and the other one quite impressive. Um, did you get to watch both games in full? I, I did. I'm, I'm quite enjoying this, actually. Um, and I think it's helped uh, the team seem to have turned a bit of corner. But, um, yeah, both, both very... In a way, I think the first sort of period of the first half of both games were quite similar, weren't they, where Arsenal had a lot of the ball but weren't really able to do very much with it. And then um, things picked up after they got a, a drinks break talking to. Mm, I, I don't know if they need much of a talking to, but I think... Um, it was noticeable for me how much the team were better post-drinks in the first half of both games. Uh, or maybe it was just that Tim Krul did us a massive favour. <laughs> well, well, actually, it's funny because one of the things I was going to ask you later was about whether you were thinking the drinks break was impacting upon the games and the way that they're being managed and the momentum shifts within the games. And you've kind of, yeah, you've kind of said it there. Um, I think we are seeing that it is a, it's like half time within a half time. And we are seeing in certain games, there is a definite impact there. Um, not always in our favour as we experienced up at Man City, but that was also down to other things, which we don't need to re relive. Uh, uh, that's not positive, positive. But, um, um, yeah, so starting with the Norwich game, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously, you know, it was one we all felt confident about, despite the weirdness of a home game without any fans. For the first time, we had that experience. Although, uh, I'm sure there's some wags on the internet pointed out that it makes less of a difference for us than it might do for teams like Sheffield United not to have their home fans there. <laughs> Yeah, we've not heard that one at all, have we? Yeah, um, <laughs> only a few hundred times. Um, but, um, I mean, Norwich are gone. Uh, you know, they, are, they will not be in the Premier League next year, uh, barring an absolute miracle, and it showed, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just very comfortable, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think even... In that first half, you know, I think the commentator even said it was attack against defence, basically. And then mm. the question for Norwich was, would they be able to score before we broke through? And then they'd have something to defend. And they did come quite close, I suppose, yeah. uh, from, um, you know, somebody shooting from 35 yards. You wouldn't expect them to score necessarily, but they could probably hit that. And, mm. You know, on, on another day, it might have gone in, but it didn't, and that was pretty much all they had. I don't think they had a shot on target inside the box. Um, and unfortunately for them, Tim Krul decided he was going to try and take on one of the league's quickest strikers, which, um, you know, we, we, we have had our history with Tim Krul down the years, haven't we? So it was very, very pleasing that the first goal came that way. But I think. You know, we've seen that from Uber in the past, but 
coming off the back of Enketia the week before and the way the team are now pressing higher up the pitch, it, um, you know, it speaks to a change of approach from Arsenal and obviously something that as weeks are going by for Arteta, he's been able to embed within the team. I mean, it is astonishing, really, that Tim Krull did it because uh, having seen Arsenal score a goal like that only the week before, and I think that might even be Oba's third goal in the in English football like that, uh, certainly his second, if not his third, and everyone knows that he's super quick. It's like... It's you know it's one thing if you're being closed down by Sabios or, <laughs> or who can't, who can't get there, or you're being closed down by Urza who's not really going to do anything than a half-hearted waft. Um, but you know anyone who does their homework knows that that's a dangerous situation. But no, for whatever reason, Tim Krul just yeah didn't didn't really. Uh, I mean, it was sort of I found it astounding at the time that he was even thinking about it, and then when he did it, it was like, "Well, you're a mug, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah, and a nice way for Ober to get to his fifty. Yeah, um, not 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 quite. The, it would have been nicer if one of his ones against Brighton, where he came so close, went in. But uh, and, and then obviously, once he went one nil up, it it felt that unless unless we totally took our foot off the gas and let them back into it late on, or unless we'd shot ourselves in the foot, then that was kind of game over, because, as you say, they weren't giving a lot coming forward. Although, as we've seen a few times this season, the start of the second half, they had a little flurry of possession, at least, uh, but it didn't really go anywhere. And from then on, as soon as Granite Jack had got the second, that was that. was that. And what a lovely second goal it was. Beautiful football. Arteta ball. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, which which was interesting because it effectively ended up being a fusion of Wenger ball and Emery ball. <laughs> yeah. Which may be a reflection of the players we have at our disposal, or it may be something deeper. But um, obviously, yeah, it's the it's it's the raking ball from the back to the, to the overlapping wing back, uh, and Ober just turning provider with a lovely intelligent run and pass inside, and nice moment for Granite Jacker. <laughs> the Shawshaka redemption. Apologies, <laughs> everyone. But but yeah, I mean, a bit of a shame for him after what's happened earlier in the season that he scored his first goal. Lovely goal, and there's in an empty stadium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I suppose so. But you know, it was, it was nice to see Arsenal score um, a nice team goal like that. I, hmm. I can't think of many we've scored since the restart that have been like that. It was um, yeah, for sure. And um, one of the things I, I'm quite interested by is that since we've moved to three at the back, we've actually seen a few goals from midfield now. Yeah. Um, Xhaka, obviously, Ceballos, Sheffield United and Willock at Southampton. So it seems that having that extra centre-back is maybe giving the midfielders a little bit more licence to get forward. I mean... Sort of feels logical that they would have that with a little bit more screen time. Yeah, and we, and we saw the same uh, towards the end of that season where we won the cup against Chelsea, where we switched to the back three and wing backs, and uh, it did help our central midfield uh, be able to impose themselves a bit more on the game. And, and the impression I get that it's not Arteta's preferred ideals lineup, but. I mean, it is undoubtedly the formation which best fits the players we have at our disposal at the moment. 
because we've got, you know, uh, certainly in Bellerin and Tierney, you've got good attacking fullbacks. Uh, when Kalasinac has to play at left back, we all know that he's better going forward than he is defensively, despite his current deployment. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we also have the option of, obviously Ainsley's better better at wing-back than at full-back, and Cedric Suarez is trying to make a claim for himself, as he did with dream debut <laughs> off the bench. Well, yeah, I, I was going to mention about Arteta's game management, and I've written down... Um... Game management, drinks breaks, subs, billets, Ainsley made the nails, and then capital letters Suarez. I mean, what, what a substitution. And that's the thing. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, criticising Arteta's substitutions and suggesting there's uncertainty there because of maybe taking too long to make decisions when he first stepped into the job and perhaps the way things panned out against Brighton and Man City. But since then, almost every sub he's made has, made, has had a, a positive impact on every match. Um, so yeah, I mean Suarez with a, with a left foot from twenty odd yards out. I mean, I think I think that's like his something like his third Premier League goal or something. So it's somewhat unexpected. <laughs> Probably as good as it's going to get for him. He should have just run straight off the pitch. Well, to be fair, he once scored a really nice free kick against Man United. So uh, there's, there's hope. Uh, okay. But, um, I mean, what did you make of... Obviously, he then started against Wolves. What, what did you make of the the dawn of Cedric? <laughs> I thought he had a decent game, actually. Um, I think... I uh, I love Hector Bellerin to bits, and I, I still hold out hope that he might be Arsenal's next captain. Um, but I think that he's clearly still not past the cruciate injury as last week is. It would take a few months for that to happen. And without doing anything outrageously outstanding, I thought Suarez actually did seem to be a bit of an improvement on Bellerin. I mean, I think Bellerin got into some very good positions against Norwich, but he wasn't quite able to execute his final ball. Um, but I, I think from uh, I've started babbling already. How terrible! <laughs> <laughs> Suarez's performance on Saturday, you know, I wouldn't look at him now coming into the team in place of Bellerin as something to panic about. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of negative reaction to him getting his long deal when, um, you know, obviously he hadn't played for us and it, the fact that it came the same time as the deal for Mary in the Louise extension, there was a lot of people losing their shit about it. But although I would have pre- probably preferred a three-year deal to a four-year deal, uh, the rumour is he's getting less than he was at Southampton and, you know, he may not be. He may have had a couple of difficult years with injury and, and, and falling out of favour and what have you, but he's still... An international fullback at what should be something like the peak of his career, and he's never going to be the most dynamic player, Cedric Suarez. But he's defensively very solid. Um, I mean, he's short, which isn't ideal when defending crosses into the box. But he's one-on-one defending, particularly you know, and, and tackling, as we saw. He's got he's he's got more aggression to his game than Bellerin probably is likely to ever have, and is more of a pure old-fashioned right-back in that respect. And also, he appears to be a slightly better crosser of the ball than Bellerin, or at least more. that's more of a, a choice he chooses to make, whereas Bellerin's strength is more of the sort of one-twos and interplay around the box in an attacking sense. So I think they they give us options. That means when both get fit, 
it allows Arteta to tailor things towards the opponent a bit more, which is which is you know as we've seen is something he's perfectly prepared to do. I mean, certainly, it's going to be very interesting to see if this back three is now just the choice to the end of the season, or is it is or if it's been uh, put into place with the opponents we've we've had recently and the opponents we've got coming up in mind because it worked really well to nullify Southampton's strengths and it worked. Uh, very well at the weekend against Wolves and also against Sheffield United, all, all teams that play a back three and try and exploit those spaces. And by matching up with them, we managed to nullify a lot of what they were trying to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't. I see Suarez as more of a right back than a right wing back. But depending on how we line up, if we're playing this, continuing to play this lopsided setup where the right back is slightly more defensive and the left back is pushing further on, then it's you know, it's no bad thing. Yeah, and I think it's nice for Arteta to have the option to um, take Bellerin out because he has played a lot of football since the restart. Um, I thought it was interesting that Ainsley Maitland-Niles came out and said that he wasn't bothered whether he played football or not a few days ago. Yeah. I was, maybe you should have mentioned that before we signed Suarez. Um, but, you know, skipping forward a little bit, didn't he play well on uh, Saturday? Yeah, I mean, that was another example of Arteta reacting to what's happening on the pitch with a positive impact substitution. Um, I mean, it was sort of interesting how, you know, uh, Maitland-Niles came on and then Traore found he was finding him more difficult to beat than, than Tierney. And then within about five minutes, Wolves made substitutions in Traore was playing more sort of wing-back where, where he got nothing out of anyone at all. Um so it's hard to know how much it was the introduction of Maitland-Niles that shut that side down where they were causing us a lot of danger, but it was definitely a factor. Well, I think, you know, enough things go wrong and managers have to take the blame. So let's, let's say it was that. Well done, Mikel Arteta. And um, well, well played Ainsley, you know, because yeah. that's, that's a tough assignment. Well, it's also the last couple of times we've seen him play. He seems to have been playing... With a, with a greater intensity, a sort of level of focus which we hadn't seen in him for a, maybe a year, year and a half. Um, he seems to, have, yeah, um, whatever it is, uh, Arteta's managed to flick a switch in him again. And, and you know, part of the, the interview you mentioned with Maitland-Niles was also him fessing up to basically having been late on one or two occasions and, you know, taking his medicine because it was fair enough. Um, which, which, again, is is a reflection of... Uh, perhaps the the new regime, as it were. Um, so yeah, I mean Norwich was a bit of a walk in the park, even if it was a very pleasant experience. It was very very nice to be able to to watch the second half of an Arsenal game, feeling totally relaxed. It's been a very long <laughs> well, time. It was totally relaxing once. Uh, Basically, whoever the Norwich player was that passed the ball to the back. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the Swiss striker, yeah. Uh, whose name I've temporarily forgotten as well, Dermich, I think, Dermich. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that was that was uh, centre-forward play par excellence, wasn't it? That's how you hold up a ball. In <laughs> <laughs> you go, sir. Yeah. I know. I'm under slight pressure. I'll play a 40-yard ball across my own back line when there's no defenders. But, of course, as soon as Aubameyang got the ball in that position, you know, it was just like, well, you, you'd be shocked if he doesn't score. It's just that's the position where he's deadly. Uh, and indeed he was, and looked suitably happy about proceedings. Um, 
and and then obviously yeah it was like 30 minutes just wondering about will we score another one or two and we did from the most unexpected of sources and so i actually work with a norwich fan and we um follow each other on twitter and i tweeted about Aubameyang getting the big five zero and he said i think this might be five zero by the end of it he wasn't far <laughs> off <laughs> I mean, it's 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 actually sort of re- Norwich are a really good example about how a team that comes up, you know, they come up with that confidence they've had from getting promoted, but how that confidence and the stuffing gets knocked out of them over the course of a season. And you know, we saw this season with Arsenal under Emery how when the confidence goes, things can unravel pretty quickly. Uh, and Norwich, you know, when I mean, we forget that early on in the season they beat Man City, and that was Man City who were flying at that point. Uh, they beat them in there, but now they look like they don't know where their next their next win's coming from. Well, they, I mean, they were lucky to go one 0 up against us, weren't they? Because we played them off the park for twenty five minutes, but then in the second half of that, they did very very easily and probably should have won it. I think. Mm, mm, mm. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of the teams that were already in trouble, but lockdown seems to have cemented whatever fragility they had. Uh, you know, and there's a f- it's interesting actually seeing which teams have come out of lockdown with momentum and c- those which have lost all the momentum. I mean, Sheffield United, despite their hilarious victory against Spurs, huzzah, um, have basically been not looked like the same team they were beforehand, uh, even though, you know, their form's improved a little bit in in recent recent fixtures since they, be- since they lost to us, but that was then sort of starting to find their feet again. But other teams have sort of carried on as if it's as if nothing's happened. I mean, United seem to have benefited from it. Um, although the main thing with United is basically Bruno Fernandes has turned up, and suddenly their midfield's not fucking awful. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, if we can make a similar signing in the summer, the same might be true of us next year. Well, indeed, and, and uh, yeah, that um, that's to come. Uh, so obviously, there's the Wolves game. Uh, how did you feel? prior to the Wolves game. I think last week we predicted a draw, both of us, didn't we? Yeah, well, interestingly, mate, I, I did my prediction and I did us one all. And then before the game, I just had a slight twinkle. I, I don't know, I just had a good feeling about it for some reason. I know um, people saw the team and they were like, oh my God, where's Pepe? Where is Pepe? And then, <laughs> oh, his wife's giving birth. Uh, uh, I... Um, increasingly coming round to the view that whoever is in charge of Arsenal Football Club, as much as I think as I know, the manager probably knows a little bit more than I would. Particularly in Arteta's case, actually, I feel like, well, I'm going to trust you because ultimately you see the players, as it turned out, of course, Pepe was not in the team because Arteta didn't want to pick it. He was having a baby with his wife. But, um, so, aside from that confusion, I just I don't know. I I think playing Wolves in an empty stadium probably was quite helpful. <laughs> helpful for us. Otherwise, we'd have had 30,000, whatever. They've got a beautiful ground, by the way. I don't yeah, know if you've yeah. Ever, yeah, beautiful stadium. Um, but 30,000 screaming Midlanders... Um, and they would have been giving our players dogs abuse because, of course, we're southern softies for every day. Um, the empty stadium, I think, probably helped us um, or was going to help us. I, yeah, I just felt 
we could probably nick it. And um, I mean, the first 25 minutes of the game were quite boring, weren't they? Let's be <laughs> I mean, it was utter dog shit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in retrospect, um, I, I sort of feel like Wolves were just content to sit back and wait for Arsenal to make a mistake because that's what we do. Mm. And they would pounce on it and score. And it would be 1 0, as Stephen predicted, because they'd be able to defend against us. But I think what by taking that approach, they actually allowed Arsenal just to really grow into the game, control the game. And as boring as that opening 25 minutes was, it. It allowed Arsenal to have a foothold that they might not otherwise have been given. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, exactly as you say, teams have got very used to us. Just you know, just don't let Arsenal get any, get any dangerous positions, and eventually they'll fuck up and we'll score. Uh, and of course, they reach that conclusion with very very good reason, based on a lot of mm. empirical evidence. <laughs> but um, I, I think, I mean, I'd seen a bit of Wolves, and I knew that they were going to play more of a counter-attacking style but I was I was shocked by just how apart from that first minute chance for Troy where he outpaced the defence and uh, Martinez did well they were just very passive It their, their game plan seemed to be just don't give Arsenal anything and try and hit the two front men um, yeah. there was it, I mean normally Wolves are a bit more constructive in their play uh, and I, I didn't. Yeah, I was, I was a bit disappointed from a, the neutral part of my brain, which is very small, uh, was disappointed with with what Wolves offered. Really, um, they seem to, as they seem to, as I say, take that approach of let them make a mistake, and then, and then by the time they'd realised that Arsenal, this Arsenal team, were not just going to fold like a house of cards, um, they couldn't quite get uh, create the danger that they wanted to. I mean, obviously, they still kind of got into decent positions on, on a few occasions, particularly in that first half of the second half. But we've all watched Arsenal enough to know that this team is a, a, a lot better with a lead than it is coming from behind, generally. The thing was, is it sort of made sense Wolves' approach because I think we exchanged messages on Twitter that they were, they were, they were strangling the game a la peak Mourinho. And it was sort of a bit concerning initially, but as you say... They're, they were passive to the point where Arsenal were able to get a real sense of p- controlled possession. And of course, in that situation, the opening goal was always going to be most important. And it, I, it was funny because I was literally about to tweet, not sure about Saka at right wing, he's really struggling. <laughs> and literally, I was halfway through writing the tweet and then the ball came in from the left. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't think anything had come up for him. Up until that point, it was quite a, an auspicious performance having signed his new contract. Um, and then we saw exactly why Arsenal fans have been signed sign the thing, sign the thing, sign the thing for months. Um, what a finish. I mean, I, <laughs> um, you know, and it came from a nice nice bit of play, you know, Bamian gets the ball out to Tierney, the cross comes in, lucky with the deflection. But, you know, even from there, um, as, as the ball drops and he hits it, you're not expecting him to score. Um, and he didn't just score, you know, he put it into the corner. It was a fantastic goal. Um, 
for. Well, I mean, it's in keeping with the way he was interviewed after. Was you know, when it, it, he has an ability which is incredibly rare in young players, which means that even when he's playing badly, he's always going to be dangerous. In that he has remarkable composure in key moments. I mean, much more than a lot of senior players, frankly. And to, to get that, <laughs> to get that in a, a player at that age is incredibly rare, and that's what really marks him out. He knows his decision making at the crucial moment. Uh, you know, whether it be and the execution of certain core skills. I mean, as a in a lot of ways, he's less talented than someone like Reese Nelson in terms of the breadth of his skills. But he's a player that really knows. He you can he really takes care with every shot, with every cross, you know the final pass. He's he's just got enough skill, but the totally elite mentality when it comes to the key moments, which is why he can be effective in such such situations, even when he's playing like horse crap. He's a killer. Yeah, um, I mean. We'd, you know, he'd started to kind of begin to find his feet with a couple of touches in the game by then. But I think even, I think even he'd be the first to admit that he didn't have a good game after that point, particularly. Um, I mean, Wolves, Wolves defensively are a very difficult team to flourish against. They, you know, they've got three at the back and they've got two deep lying playmakers and uh, extremely physical. I don't mean that in a dirty way, but physical as in relentless style fullbacks as well so you know you're not going to get a lot of space against him in those areas um but lovely goal yeah um just before i forget to mention it as well just a little shout out to unlucky eddie and katia who's hit the woodwork again <laughs> um what a lovely goal that would have been it actually ended up being a great save it was a great save yeah yeah, yeah. but um I think in terms of being unlucky, if he, he you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean there, there are lots of other goalkeepers that would have let that goal in. I mean, Rui Patricio is and has been Portugal's first choice goalkeeper for a number of years for good reason. Oh, the way he changed direction was incredible, really. Yeah, he's a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, and uh, But it's encouraging that, you know... It, Eddie hasn't really had the chance to show the quality of his finishing, except perhaps that that goal against Everton from the cross from from I believe it was Saka, um, which was a which was a very skilled finish. But most of his other goals have been sort of more down to work rate and just getting into the right position than anything particularly difficult. But yeah, that was showing the value of someone who takes a strike really early. Um, but another good performance from Eddie, I thought. I mean, he struggled, struggled a bit with holding the ball up, but you know when you're a 20-year-old kid playing against three monster centre-halves, that's always going to be a bit of a challenge. It was quite funny. I think there was a moment quite early on in the game where Mustafi could have played him in, and he didn't. Um, and then about 10 minutes later, he, he played the ball up to Enkia, who had his back to the defender, and then the defender just came straight through him. Yeah. Um, took the ball away. Um, but, you know, he's very new in the team, isn't he? So players have got to get used to how he plays he's got to get used to what we're trying to do yeah and and it's that thing of whether it be Lacazette the way that Lacazette's been deployed which people can argue about whether it's the right way or not but also then prior to that Giroud you know we've we've had been playing as a team with centre centre forwards that 
you know, hold the ball up uh, for the last three or four, five, six, seven years. Um, and it, it, it is a different style. I mean, it's one of the reasons why actually Aubameyang's flourished more for us at left wing than he has at centre forward in terms of his goal scoring ratio. Um, because that way he can play the way he wants to and run onto the ball rather than having to, to scrap so much, uh, particularly, you know, when outnumbered against centre-halves who can come in through the back of you and that's sort of allowed as long as they're not too f- forceful with it. Um, I thought it was... Uh, e- even even though there were a couple of second-half decisions that I didn't particularly enjoy, I thought it was nice to see us get a game where we're actually allowed to have one of the good refs in the country. <laughs> he didn't have one of his better games, though. I mean... The, <laughs> I, I cannot remember specifics, so I've just said a terrible thing. But... Um, well, there was the one where Maitland Niles got booked for nothing. There were, he he ended up getting becoming very card happy, I thought. And Arsenal had had got four or five yellow cards in a game where there was nothing really. I mean, I actually thought Maitland Niles' tackle was a booking. I thought that was the I thought that was the clearest booking. But yeah, he did get card happy with Arsenal towards the end of the game, and uh, there was a couple of counter attacks we had in the second half. The one where Enketia was taken out and he didn't book the defender for what was the most clear booking foul ever. Didn't even give a free kick. And he then and also the one where Saka was getting used to used as a <laughs> a vehicle that was clambered upon. Um, it, it's almost as if he was doing a really really good job, but then sometime and then after, uh, in the second half he got the memo from the FA. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> The, you know, Mike Riley sent him a text. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, uh, you know, Michael Oliver, I mean, actually Arsenal have a terrible record with Michael Oliver as a referee, but at least he's one of those refs that when he starts refereeing the game, you, you, your heart's not in your mouth from the first whistle, unlike certain oh, others that we true. can talk about. And then, of course, you know, Wolves had that really strong push. Uh, Traore was moved out wider and was getting some success against Tierney, who will not be the first or last left-back to find him difficult, difficult to contend with. But uh, for the most part, our central defence coped very well. And there was the, the odd slightly panicky moment from, well, our collection of slightly panicky centre-halves. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it was it was kind of fairly comfortable. There weren't There weren't really that many... Scary moments. Um, I thought I thought Martinez again was looked fantastic in goal. I I think Mikel Arteta, if this carries on, is going to have a bit of a decision to make because I there's I think everything about Martinez has been impressive since he came in. He catches all well. He's a good shot, shot stopper. He's even agile. He commands his area in a way that I think. Even Leno doesn't. I mean, Martinez comes for a ball and he catches it, and that's the end. Um, <laughs> whereas Leno's a bit more of a puncher, which can lead to um, situations. Um, I've been super impressed with him. I think I even tweeted that on Saturday. Um, yeah, I mean, his distribution's been great. As you say, he's been great coming for the ball. He's been trying to offer leadership, but he's also... I mean, it's been a couple of times where it's nearly bit him in the arse, but yeah, but he's like he's proper the cool cat back there. Well, and the other thing I would say actually is um, just in terms of his size, he's he's quite imposing. I think in a way like Leno is an excellent goalkeeper, but he doesn't quite. I don't look at him and think, oh, well, you're going to 
monster someone if you have to. Whereas Martinez just he's not gonna get knocked off the ball. He's he might he's gonna drop across at some point, I assume. Um I don't know. It, it seems mad to say this, but I, there's a degree, there's a degree of security that I feel with Martinez that I don't necessarily feel the same way with Leno for all his shot stopping qualities. And I'm not saying that I would take Leno out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's with Martinez. It all depends on whether he can maintain this level consistently. Consistently, but you know, for the last few games, and it's no more than that. For the last few games, he's been one of the best goalkeepers in the country for sure. You know, his handling's been exemplary. He's, as you say, he's been great at being c- commanding in his area, coming for crosses, all the rest of it. And he's been very good with his distribution. Uh, and, yeah, he's he just kind of seems pretty chill back there as well, which is always a good quality in a goalkeeper. You know, it's one, one, one of the things that always made Dave Seaman so good is that he was just exuded a sort of sense of calm. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, just on Seaman quickly, did you hear the interview that he did on the uh, Hand Break Off podcast a few weeks ago? Um, no, I haven't listened to it yet. It's on my Oh, list. okay. Yeah, he. Um, they were talking about a game where he um, ended up with studs tearing his uh, testicles. And um, he got stitched up at half time and just went back out for the second half. <laughs> um, I've heard that story second hand but never from the horse's mouth yeah Lee Dixon was uh, taking great delight in it <laughs> but, um, yeah no I, I think you're right and it's so impressive that you know he's he's 28 years old and he's had this is like his 10th appearance in the Arsenal first team and to come in and be able to play with that confidence and maybe it's just in his temperament um you know, we don't have to go on about it. We've all seen goalkeepers in the not, not too distant past that we've known from minute one were not <laughs> fit to wear the gloves. Um, so for him to be able to come in uh, and perform as he has is, like I said, I, I couldn't be more impressed. And it's also really nice because obviously when we first saw Martinez, you know, I mean, it was a good few years ago, but he looked like a bundle of nerves, you know. I mean, obviously, there's famously that that mental league cup game against Reading, the seven five, where I mean, he looked like if you kick the ball in his direction, it might, you know, <laughs> he did not. He was clearly not mentally ready at that stage. And ironically, it seems to have been a, a lone spell at Reading that seems to have done him a great deal of good. Um, I did see someone recently trying to say that you know Martinez is isn't all that and they were dig- digging up clips from either that Reading game or another one where he had a bit of a bad game but it was like five, six years ago and I'm like not sure that's really relevant <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest <laughs> uh, we're not really interested in you know who gives a shit what he was five years ago um, so yeah that's another, another positive and, and obviously uh, more goals off the off the bench an away goal for Laka. <laughs> What a lovely bird camp touch to set the shot up. It was a very Aguero goal, wasn't it? I thought of it like that. But yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I mean, it's we have seen Laka score that kind of goal before, but uh, not very much recently. Uh, and he sort of reminds us that, yeah, 
it's funny he like first time shots where he's having to come onto it he's kind of erratic but when he's got the ball in that sort of position he can can control where he where it is for his for his strike he's still a very very impressive penalty box striker um i mean despite the fact we've obviously seen all the limitations in his game magnified this season as he's, as he's sworn struggled a bit but big goal for him though yeah, well, and he he was happy, wasn't he? You could see. Yeah, yeah. just a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, nice to get the monkey off your back. I, I'm I'm gonna claim that he saw my uh, Ferris Bueller nine times tweet um, <laughs> from last weekend, and he was like, "Right, I'm gonna put an end to that now." Um, uh, you're gonna have to explain that to me and the listeners. So, <laughs> have you seen Ferris Bueller's day off? Quick diversion. Yes. So. Uh, so far this semester, Ferris has missed nine days of school. Nine times? Nine times. Oh. Um, so I tweeted that gif Yeah. Um, after the commentator said about Lacazette only scoring nine times this season. Ah. Which actually had put him behind Martinelli in terms of goals for this season. Um, yeah. Well, although um... Martinelli only had three in the league. But um, yeah, no, I, I I like Lacker. I, I sort of feel he's probably looking at Eddie and Ketia in a way that Ian Wright might have once looked at looked at Nicholas and Elka and thought, well, the future is possibly coming. Not that I'm going to claim and Ketia is going to have quite the same impact as Elka did for that two years, but um, I. This season's probably been horrible for him. Um, you know, he knows what he's capable of. Um, so, if he can finish it in a strong way, that obviously would be good for him. It'd be good for the team because if Lacazette does well, the team should follow. Um, yeah. So, ho- hopefully, this is. He's uh, been a bit patchy at Arsenal, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, I mean, it's. And, first, and, First season was up and down, uh, but obviously he had a, he had an injury. His second season was obviously Player of the Year, but was um, again had fluctuations in form. And of course, this year he started with an injury and has never really found top form. You know, he's had good games here and good games there, but not really a consistency. And and of course, you know, for parts of the season it's hard to draw conclusions because there was a while in the middle where it was a complete fucking mess. And every and everyone was looking rubbish apart from Aubameyang, frankly, uh, and Leno. They were the only two that sort of didn't have a period of looking shit. Um, but I mean, whatever the decision is, whether the club wants to uh, renew Lacazette or whether they want to move on from him, it's still a very important few games for for him uh, at, at the club, either in terms of securing his future at the club or in terms of securing a good future somewhere else. Because uh, obviously he's only got two years left on his contract after this this season, um, and uh, the old two years m- memo has come out again. They only really ig- exempt that for the actual top top level players, <laughs> or, or the ones who are too young to be certain about at that two year point. Um, at which point we have to mention the, the other good news of this week: we, we had uh, two two contract renewals. Uh, which you know, I think last week we were confident that Saka was going to commit, but as was said, the closer it gets to not happening. <laughs> yeah, um, 
his, his interview um, after he signed was quite sweet. Was it like, oh, why have you signed? Oh, come on, man, this is Arsenal. Um, uh, you know, nice that he was aware enough that he'd been a source of anxiety to fans. Um, I, yeah, um, there, I don't think there was any particular indication that he was ever going to leave. But obviously, when someone's had the year and a half that they've had and in a struggling team, you know, we, we'll talk about Aubameyang and how well he's been doing in a struggling team. But this is an 18-year-old kid who is playing in a struggling team and he looks incredible most weeks. Um, so, yeah, delighted about that. And then obviously um, Martinelli follows suit, which... <laughs> someone was someone I put on Twitter was sort of kicking off a little bit. He's only been here a year. Why did they have to give him another Well, he's come in and done. I think people would say he's he's probably earned it. <laughs> yeah, you know whatever expectations people had of Martinelli before the season started, he's probably out. Yeah, um, which isn't in itself a reason to give him a new contract, but we don't know what terms he was signed on. Him. Yeah, um, I mean, he is someone you know. Saka, you could see, will you know, are optimistic to think that he would spend his entire career at Arsenal. But you can see him spending a good chunk of his career here. Uh, Martinelli may be destined for um, sunnier climbs. Again, he might not, but you know, it makes sense to get him tied down to better terms. And then if Arsenal do have big bigger fish calling for him in a few years' time and now um, make make some money on him, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, we, we often complain about how contracts in football aren't enough of a meritocracy, so we can't, we can't also then complain when people get rewarded for doing well, particularly when they're, they appear to be very much on the upward curve of their career, you know. Uh, it's much more sensible to, to be paying people... Who are who are achieving and look as though they're going to achieve more, rather than paying people for what they have previously achieved, which used to be yeah. much more the way things were done. Um, obviously, sometimes it Nicola Spentner's you in the arse, and you end up with a you know you have a young player that is massively overachieving for their age and then falls off a cliff. But you know you can't you can't legislate for someone going bonkers. His his book's going to be a good read, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, 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 a nice sort of companion book to the Arsene Wenger book, as things they're both be coming out at a similar time. One will be oh, really. Of, one will be full of sort of slightly zen wisdom. The other one will be full of batshit craziness. <laughs> I'll be honest, mate. I thought you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I've, pr- I've, 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 I've added it to my Amazon wish list. <laughs> oh, that will be. Um, yeah, that should be entertaining, shouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's great news for the club. Uh, I mean, it's sort of odd to find ourselves in such anxiety about an 18-year-old who's only been in the team for a year. But the fact is, is the weekend was a perfect illustration of what we were discussing before, which is if you have a player whose fundamentals in key moments are so strong, they can much greater withstand the very you know vagaries of form and the ups and downs of development of young players. So it gives you a lot more faith in their ability to be a positive impactor going forward. And yeah, it's great news for the club because imagine how damaging it would have been if, you know, our top the best probably the best young player to come out of our academy in years 
buggers off as soon as he gets as soon as he hits the big time. Mm. Um, and it's also going to be a, going to be a really important marker for the other young players we've got at the academy who are like 15, 16, 17 now. You know, in terms of them making their decisions. I mean, it looks like we're going to lose Flo Balogun, which is a real shame. But you know, you can understand why there's a discrepancy in 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 his expectations about what the club can guarantee him for him when we've got lots of other good young attacking players competing in the same positions. You know, he obviously wants to think of his career and there's not an obvious pathway at present because of the successes of Inketia and Martinelli and the you know, the fact that Lacazette and, and Aubameyang may or may not be here next year. Uh, I mean I won't get into the details of that because it gets a bit it gets a bit wild and woolly in the middle there. But um yeah, it's a bit an important week for the club, um, particularly as we have some bitching fixtures coming up. <laughs> mm. I mean, this. I mean, this. This. The week on the horizon is not a desperately friendly one. Uh, obviously, um, we've got the home game against Leicester tomorrow because uh, we're recording this on Monday, listeners. Um, Leicester have been a slightly wobbly, but have also shown that there's still plenty of quality in the team. Um, and then, obviously, at the weekend. The big one at the toilet bowl, mm-hmm. uh, which we have to win because we've upset Jose Mourinho now. <laughs> well, like, there's a bit of me. It's like, did we really have to rile them up a week before we play them? Well, it's... I mean, it might be fine. I, you know, as I said last week, we now have a manager that has a clue. We have very good footballers at Arsenal and Jose Mourinho. Whatever happens next weekend, I think everyone knows he's finish as a top level manager because if he wasn't he wouldn't be at Tottenham <laughs> but you know this this game is the one game that, you know you have to win you know as Ian Wright said to me and Lewis many years ago as David Rocastle once told him you score against Tottenham you are in for life yeah um, and you know for Arteta this this is the biggest game of his time as Arsenal manager um, in, so, in, in, until he plays uh, the following weekend against Man City in the FA Cup semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, but it was quite funny, wasn't it? Mourinho kind of taking a pop at Arsenal because they took the mick out of Spurs having a bad result. Like going, oh, you know, Arsenal, they've got their own problems, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, dude, like, I know I know that you're trying to make out that you're only ever interested in the biggest prizes, uh, uh, like the good old days. But, Literally, Tottenham, Tottenham's primary pleasure being laughing at Arsenal bad results has been about 28 of the last 30 years. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, you can play Bertie Big Bollocks all you want, but no one's buying it. Yeah, but I just, you know, every, everyone listening to this podcast will just want Arsenal to go and smash Tottenham by as many goals possible. And... Oh, just losing to them with Mourinho in charge. Again, it's a game that I feel, in a way, it might work quite nicely for us. Our first visit to their stadium. With no with fans. No fans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what an opportunity. And, you know, the team feel like they're in good shape and hopefully they get through tomorrow night and win that game. Leicester, you know, they were quite high earlier in the season, less so now. I don't feel 
too worried about about tomorrow. I mean, it's going to be difficult, but not frightening. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think if you were talking about this, if we were talking about Arsenal two weeks ago, then yeah, I, tomorrow night is a concern. Saturday, Saturday, whenever the game is at the weekend, that would also be a concern. But Sunday, four thirty, listeners. <laughs> you know. Arteta's managed to instill something into Arsenal. And I felt I had a strange feeling on Saturday evening watching that game. Because for the first time in a long time, I felt there was a degree of assurance about what Arsenal were doing. Um, I, I don't know if that, that was something that you felt too, but they just, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, wait for Arsenal to mess up because that's what Arsenal always do. And I was just thinking, Actually, I don't think they will. You know, that isn't to say that they won't in the future, but Saturday night, I was, yeah, I was in a good place with the team. Well, I mean, we've all seen uh, Mourinho do the rope a dope thing against Arsenal uh, with great success, you know, particularly when managing Chelsea, where, you know, you just let let Arsenal have the ball and then counter at pace. Um, But we didn't blink as quickly in this one. We were like, okay, well, you're not going to come at us. We're going to have to push the play, but we're not going to overcommit doing that. We're going to do it in a way where we're going to, we back ourselves to create some chances without having to expose ourselves too much. Um, and I think, you know, that's going to be important against Spurs because they're, they have become a bit more of a counter-attacking team even before Mourinho joined. Um, and obviously they're going to probably be quite physical because that's their MO. Um, so com- that sort of level of compose- composure in team approach is going to be really important for that game. And against Leicester, who you know are also, as we know, they're not so much a counter-attacking team. Now they've got a really well-balanced midfield, but they're still more a counter-attacking team than, than Arsenal instinctively are. Um, so yeah, not not feeling not feeling the need to push everyone forward in the first twenty minutes and suddenly find yourself three 0 down at half time. Yeah. Uh, it, it can only be a good thing. Um, all right, well, just before we wrap up uh, with you, Paul, uh, what's your prediction? <laughs> give us uh, give us a list of two players. one to the Arsenal tomorrow night, and yeah, I, I think we're going to beat them actually. Uh, Two one. I'll go two one again. Nice, nice. Well, I, I I'm not going to burst that balloon. I'll happily go along with the same thing, uh, uh, because uh, well, it would make us happy, and it's also entirely plausible. And <laughs> and and wouldn't it be nice for Arteta to get one over on Mourinho first time round, in in a sort of anti Wenger moment? Yeah. And also, you know. Well. Yeah, sorry, Tom. Yeah, well, anything that brings us closest to an, a slightly earlier St. Totterings is always a, always a positive thing. <laughs> yeah, and 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 if and if uh, and if it doesn't go the way we want it to, uh, we shan't mention this conversation ever again. <laughs> okay, um, can I say, say one thing before I go, which of is course. if it's true that Aubameyang's asked for two hundred and fifty grand a week, stay at Arsenal. Give him the fucking money, please. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously had this discussion about, you know, should he stay, should he go, what's best for the club? But I think for those wages, for th- for a three-year deal, if that's if that's what he wants, 
that makes sense for the club, particularly as you know, Urzel's going to be off the books um, in a year. Uh, we don't know. You know, Mkhitaryan has been sent to Rome, where he scored a fantastic goal at the weekend. Um, so you know, so our wage balance is is being is being in the process of being addressed, and yeah, I mean, anyone you're going to get, unless you want to go full project youth you're not going to be able to replace Aubameyang's impact. And, of course, the other thing that makes me say that is there really doesn't look like there's many potential suitors out there, which, of course, drives any potential sale price down. You know, if, if someone if someone offers us 50, 60 million, which would, not, which would normally be the case with a peak market for Aubameyang services, given his age and given the contract situation to retain him, then you have to think about it because you, you could invest that money elsewhere. But with the market as it is... I can't see more than two or three teams even paying, you know, having a significant interest. Um, and I think it, he's worth more to more value to Arsenal as an Arsenal player on that basis than than the money would be. So I, I totally agree with you. Cool. So sign the ting. <laughs> uh, and of course, now now every, uh, as as is the way in the social media world, fans are reading. Uh, loads into every single social media interaction. Uh, did you see? Did you see the video going round of his brother pissed on? Yeah, I saw single... that about yeah about half an hour before we started. I saw that. Yeah, William Obamayang kind of basically being expressing very vehemently that he was very unhappy that his brother was being played on left wing rather than centre forward. But equally, qual- every time he said it, he qualified it with how how good a coach he thinks Arteta is. <laughs> Which isn't what he was saying a few months ago, so that's progress. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're all adjusting to the new realities. <laughs> I think Arteta is a very good coach. Well, certainly the early signs are very promising. Right, well, Paul, thanks very much for joining us this week, for talking to me. My pleasure, sir, my pleasure. Um, thank you. Um, if, if we do win these two games, Anita's not allowed back on the podcast. <laughs> she's obviously been bad luck. <laughs> she's not allowed to come back on until she's got married. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds dodgy, listeners, but she is in the process of being very soon getting married. I'm not like, this isn't like some 17th century banishing to a nunnery. This is literally the fact that she's getting married and part of the reason why she's not on at the moment is because she's doing everything preparing for getting married. I just thought I'd better put that disclaimer in there before I sound like a massive fucktard. Good good save. I know she'll appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) And she's also getting married to a Man U fan, but one of the world's really nice Man U fans. So she's obviously done very well for herself because that's quite a rare thing. Anyway... Uh, uh, I'll put the shovel down now (laughs) and uh, yeah well thanks Paul lovely to speak to you as always and uh, probably speak to you next week after six points in the bag come on come on the Arsenal (laughs) cheers mate take care bye everyone